Hello listeners and welcome back to This Gen Last Gen. I'm your host Joe and later in the episode I'll be joined by my illustrious co-host Sorrel. As has been the case recently we've not been able to record together and we're doing another mailbag episode where I've asked Sorrel all about the game that he's been playing which spoilers is Hollow Knight and he has asked a bunch of questions about Life is Strange Before the Storm the game that I just wrapped up. So stay tuned for both halves of another correspondence episode. Here's the music. As always, before we kick off, just a quick mention that if you like the podcast, don't forget to like the tracks, subscribe to us on SoundCloud or over on iTunes. You can review us there too, which is really helpful to get more people listening. And you can follow us on Twitter or Facebook. We are This Gen Last Gen. So without wasting any more time plugging the show, let's dive into the games. So I played Life is Strange Before the Storm, which is, of course, the prequel to the original first season of Life is Strange and you know before it came out I was pretty skeptical I think a lot of people were very skeptical it was a prequel from a different studio it was made by Deck Nine instead of Don't Nod although it was still published by Square Enix and you know anytime someone decides to uh, revisit a setting and do a prequel potentially it's going to feel very superfluous it's not really going to be answering questions that anyone really wanted to be asked. So I didn't know what to expect going in, but uh, all three episodes had already come out by the time I actually got around to playing it, and it got really good critical reception, so I was even more confused. And, uh, well, let's dive into the questions from Sorrel, and I will talk about uh, what I thought. So, uh, like we did last episode... Uh, Sorrel submitted a few questions to me, and uh, these questions this time are a little bit more blunt. So, number one, how gay is it? Uh, My answer, really gay. And I mean that in the best way possible. The original Life is Strange was sort of famous for having a female lead, and the main secondary character also being female, and there being this kind of strong, maybe a little bit of a lesbian vibe between them, depending on how you played it and the conversation options you chose. And in the original, uh, Max, the protagonist, and Chloe, uh, the protagonist of this here in this prequel, they're not explicitly gay. They're gal pals. It was also heavily hinted that Chloe and Rachel Amber, uh, one of the main characters in Before the Storm, uh, were more than just friends. But again, it was never really made explicit. It was all subtext. In Before the Storm, you have the option to actually make that explicit. And obviously, I don't want to spoil how the story goes, but essentially, uh, Chloe and Rachel are thrown together. And you can make a choice quite early on as Chloe of whether you are just friends or something more. And honestly, I don't know how you could play it and not choose the something more option. So maybe you can play the rest of the game and they are just hetero life partners. But it just feels like the narrative is pushing them together in, in the things that happen and the dialogue options you can choose from and just the chemistry between the voice actors. Um, As an aside, there is also, uh, although it's not a huge part of the game, there's another canonically gay character called Steph, who's a Dungeons and Dragons DM. And the the Dungeons and Dragons game that you can get involved in is uh, is really fun. 
Uh, I wish it had been a bigger part of it, actually. So question two. Is there no supernatural power like the time control? How is that anything like Life is Strange? Well, again, I want to try and answer without dropping huge spoilers. In the original first season of Life is Strange, Max had the ability to manipulate time, and that basically had two main gameplay effects. So one, you could rewind and retry conversations or puzzles in like a little Groundhog Day loop with the knowledge that you got from your first or earlier runs through. And then there were also sections where, as part of the narrative, you traveled to other specific times and made major changes, and that had like big knock-on consequences, uh, but less for like a puzzle sort of thing and more just like the, the way the narrative unfolded. And there is nothing like that in Before the Storm per se. Um, so in terms of conversations and like puzzle mechanics, there's, uh, you know, you only get one shot as Chloe because she doesn't have those time control powers and so your decisions are permanent and you know you can you can make bad decisions you can fail conversations essentially uh, and you just have to kind of live with the consequences there is however a new system which has a kind of goofy name which i think is backtalk and that is uh essentially making timed dialogue choices so normally in life is strange i think there isn't a time limit when you answer uh a question uh, unlike say telltale games which always has a, uh, a like a timeout thing uh, in backtalk there is a timer you have to choose a response within that and uh, you're trying to like win the conversation by using like really aggressive like argument techniques and it, it's not really a case of uh, like outwitting someone so much as just really kind of like shouting them down like an angry teenager um, and you basically get like a progress bar with these like little dots on it and you're trying to fill in the dots by choosing the correct answers to get towards the like the, the goal in the center. And if you make bad choices, then the, the person you're arguing with, they can fill in their dots towards it. And um, early on, uh, you might get like several chances because like you essentially got like extra lives because you know you might have to fill in three dots but they've also got to fill in three dots so you can keep making bad choices and still the conversation will keep going you've still got a chance later there are conversations where uh you only get like one life you only get one bad choice uh or even uh, you know like basically if you get one single wrong answer then it's over it's okay. It's a decent system. Uh, it, it's it fits with the character of Chloe. It fits within the narrative. Uh, it's not as cool as the time travel, obviously, but it still totally works. Uh, I didn't find that I missed the time travel. Uh, something I'll talk about again a little bit more further on is that uh, it, it's been a while since I played the original season. So maybe if I was like going from season one straight into this prequel, I'd be like, "Hey, this feels really different," but uh, I didn't miss it. Um, having said all that. I was beginning to wonder if the game would have any kind of supernatural element, given how important the time travel stuff and the kind of the weird vibe is to the original season. And I will say it does have such an element, but it is way, way more subtle and the plot doesn't kind of hinge around it in the same way it hinges around Max's time travel. Uh, but it's obviously the same universe and in this universe, certain people have certain powers. Uh, how this is uh this is sorrel's next question number three how stakeless is it given we know exactly what happens to these two characters and her boyfriend assuming he's in it uh so the boyfriend that frank uh, the, the boyfriend that sorrel is mentioning is frank 
uh, Chloe's drug dealer who lives in the RV. He's a, a reasonably significant character in the first season. Uh, Max interacts with him somewhat there. Uh, I will confirm he's in it because he shows up right away. He's in the, like the very first scene, pretty much. Uh, in terms of stakes, it is arguably kind of low because you know, for example, that uh, Chloe Price isn't going to die in this prequel. She's got to survive into Life is Strange, so she's not going to get uh, killed off in these dire situations she gets herself caught up in. Uh, and, and the same goes for like some of the side characters who you are aware carry over into the original season, uh, if you've played that. Uh, it's much more about watching how these relationships are kind of uh, how they are made, like how Chloe and Rachel became close, uh, seeing how those relationships unfold, seeing some of the backstory that's kind of hinted at in the original game. Um, you know, you knew that Rachel was important to Chloe, but it was kind of abstract, uh, whereas this makes it explicit just how close they were. And, you know, given what you know from the original game, uh, it makes the whole of Before the Storm just unbearably tragic. It's also interesting kind of seeing some of this stuff and um, I don't know if it retcons anything, but some of the things that happen definitely seem to be like, well, hey, this isn't quite how I remember it from the first season. But I think it's kind of important to remember that, uh, you know, in the first season you're playing as Max. Uh, so, for example, when you're interacting with Frank, Max is making assumptions about what sort of person he is, what kind of relationship he had with Chloe and with Rachel. So, and you know, Max isn't always correct about those things, and you may be seeing like a different side to the story in uh, Before the Storm. So I kind of like I like stuff with like unreliable narrators. Uh, I find that quite interesting. Number four, if you hadn't known already, would you have guessed it was by a different team? So this is a, a really tough one. Like I already said, uh, it's been a while since I played the first game. It came out in 2015. This sequel came out in 2017, but I haven't played it until this year, 2018. So it's three years since I played the original, and that is a long time in like the entertainment world. Uh, I think probably if I played them back to back, it would be much more noticeable, but it definitely feels like Life is Strange. It has the right look. It has the right tone. If anything, I think I maybe like Before the Storm more than the original season. It feels more polished, the characters seem more realistic, although I will say that the, the end of the third episode feels a little bit rushed. Uh, it's only three episodes instead of five that were in the original season, and I would happily have played four or five and let the whole thing kind of expand and breathe a bit more. Uh, you know, even though one of the things that sets Life is Strange, both the original season and this prequel one of the things that sets it apart from similar games like the telltale adventure games this kind of choose your own story games is that it does allow scenes to breathe in ways that those telltale games maybe don't so uh thinking about times that you're kind of crashing on a bed or sitting in a chair sitting on a car in the junkyard and like some cool licensed music will kick in and the camera pans around and you just sort of soak up the atmosphere you never get that sort of thing in a telltale game and I think it's really uh, it's key to the kind of the the atmosphere and the feel of playing Life is Strange, and that's the that's the kind of thing I'm looking at where I'm going. That's why it feels like it's the same sort of game, and maybe it doesn't feel like it's made by a different team. I think when you start being able to tell it's a different team, it's actually mostly positive stuff. So the original Don't Nod team is French, and they got some criticism for how they wrote American teenagers, and the new team at Deck Nine, they're North American. I think they're based in Colorado. Uh, so stuff feels like it reads better, it flows better. 
Um, there's also, you know, the Sorrel's first question was like, how gay is it? Well, it really leans into the queer content, like the LGBT content in this game. Uh, and I think it's really interesting because uh, not to go back to the Waypoint well, you know, I talked a lot about um, Waypoint and the, their excellent E3 coverage back when we were talking about E3. And um, one of the Waypoint reporters, they asked, uh, I think it was either a Square Readings rep or it was someone from Don't Nod. They asked them about this going into Life is Strange Season 2 and how did they feel about the way uh, like the, the LGBT community has sort of adopted the original season. Uh, and the person answering... Um, you know, from what, I, from what I remember this podcast, it was just that they uh, seemed a little bit kind of confused. They just sort of answered like, oh, we appreciate all of the, the support we get from all of our fans. Not kind of acknowledging that um, that particular fan base is like very vocal about Life is Strange. Um, and was like kind of an important part of, uh, of what I think like drove some very success. Uh, and, you know, before the storm, uh, it makes text a lot of the subtext in the original season. And I really wonder how people will react if Life is Strange 2 doesn't sort of embrace that world. Um, you know, Life is Strange is not a AAA game like a Call of Duty or whatever, but it is a big game from a major publisher. It's from Square Enix. It's not an indie title like Gone Home. Uh, and it's kind of rare to see, uh, you know, any in any case, just like female protagonists, but it's especially rare to get uh, stories focused on uh, like gay characters and um you know it's interesting looking at the amazing adventures of captain spirit which is like the free prologue they released for life is strange second season it doesn't include any hint of that sort of theme uh, and it's really too early to say exactly what they're going to do with the series but it feels like the the don't nod who is developing the sequel uh they seem to be doing more of an anthology than a direct sequel and i think that's a good thing i think that uh, the first season doesn't necessarily need like a narrative sequel, but I think that people who saw Life is Strange uh, in the first season and even more so in Before the Storm, I think that they are uh, going to be really disappointed if the series kind of moves in another direction and stops being this kind of uh, like LGBT icon about like uh, queer teenagers, queer teenage girls specifically. Um, and that's that's that feels like the biggest difference to me in the way that the developers have kind of approached the story that they created. Uh, you know, it seems like don't nod, maybe don't see the world that they've created in the same way that uh, Deck Nine approached it. And uh, so, before we wrap up, there's one more question: and uh, how good is the scab? Uh, I've tried to capture the number of A's in that spelling of scab. Uh, to explain this a little more, we have to travel back in time to the 2016-2017 SAG-AFTRA or Screen Actors Guild American Federation of Television and Radio Artists strike. Uh, a little time travel reference, that's topical. SAG-AFTRA were striking to get voice actors better pay, specifically in the form of residuals so that when a game does well, the voice actors would get more money. Uh, obviously, the major publishers disagreed and they went on strike for 340 days, which was like the longest strike in the history of the Screen Actors Guild. Uh, regular listeners will probably recognize this sort of thing as, a, as one of the moments where we read from Wikipedia because we otherwise wouldn't know what we're talking about. They eventually did settle. Uh, they got some like, better pay for individual sessions. They didn't get residuals out of it that they wanted. Uh, 
we don't really cover like labor politics on this gen last gen so i'm going to kind of skip ahead and not really talk about the uh ethics of what they did but what happened was ashley birch was a member of sag after and she striked was on strike uh so she was not available to voice chloe price in before the storm uh obviously she voiced chloe price in, in the first season uh also i didn't know this but she also voiced aloy in horizon zero dawn which is uh, one of our favorite games of uh, recent years here on the, the show. So, uh, yeah, that's a cool connection. Uh, but she did not return to voice Chloe again in Before the Storm. They actually got the uh, original motion capture model, Rihanna DeVries. So she was the uh, motion capture model in the first season. And then, obviously, she voiced and was the, the, the motion capture model for Before the Storm. Uh, they did get Birch to write for the prequel. Uh, I guess she did some like character work on Chloe to kind of keep them consistent. And, you know, uh, again, I think that if I'd played the two back to back, maybe I would notice their voices being different more. But uh, this is a prequel. It's set a couple of years before. So you can kind of get away with her, maybe sounding a little bit different, a little bit younger as Chloe. Uh, I didn't really notice any striking differences. And I wasn't like, oh, no, this like DeVries is no good. It should have been Birch or nothing. Uh, I think DeVries did a great job. Uh, again, I'm not sure about the ethics of bringing someone else in. Maybe they could have waited for the strike to be over. I don't know. Um, but I thought that DeVries was good as Chloe. And uh, one of the kind of cool things is that, uh, I guess, you know, because Birch was like writing for Deck Nine for Before the Storm, they obviously kind of kept a, a good relationship up. And she comes back to voice Chloe in the bonus episode, which was in the the physical and the digital deluxe versions. So there are three episodes in Before the Storm. There's also a bonus episode called Farewell, and uh, it brings back Ashley Birch as Chloe, as well as uh, the voice actor for Max from the first season, Hannah Teller, uh, to kind of put a bow on the whole thing. Um, so, you know, Birch and Teller, they're playing Chloe and Max again, but it's, uh, this episode is set before, first of all, you know, before the first season and even before, before the storm, it's like a double prequel. Um, it's about the, like the last day that Max and Chloe spend together before Max moves to Seattle, which is like a huge event in both their lives. It's kind of the backstory to both games. Essentially, it, it's something that uh, Chloe's like thinking about all the way through before the storm. It's uh, why Max was away and has come back to Arcadia Bay in uh, the original season. Um, so it was like a, just a nice way of kind of connecting both seasons and a, and a good way of like bringing those voice actors back. So that's it. That's all the questions that I had from Sorrel. And I think it's been a great way for me to uh, talk about this game. I really, really enjoyed it. You know, I again. I did really like the first season, but I think that uh, Before the Storm just kind of worked a bit better for me. And uh, it really has made me want to go back and replay the first season and uh, basically spend more time in this setting, uh, more time with this type of game. Um, I think we are hoping... Uh, so I've, I've, like I said, I've played the amazing adventures of captain spirit but sorrel has not had a chance to do that yet but i think we're hoping that he will play that and then maybe we'll uh, get a chance to do kind of a bonus episode on that uh on that little prologue for the second season uh since i think uh, i think it's definitely worth talking about and, and maybe speculating a little on where season two is going to go so with all that done 
I'm going to hand over to my good friend Sorrel, who has been playing Hollow Knight, and uh, I'm kind of suspicious that he didn't like it very much. Hey, Sorrel here, my turn to talk, my time to shine. I'm talking about Hollow Knight today, as Joe mentioned, um, and it's mailbag episode, of course, so let's dip our hand into the sack, into Joe's sack, and pull out a letter. Question number one from Joe, what is Hollow Knight? Ugh. Joe, you Philistine. It's, uh, Joe, it's, it's a little indie game, you wouldn't have heard of it. It's um, it actually came out. It was on Kickstarter, I think. I'd not thought about this because I I hadn't followed it, but I guess it did probably very well on Kickstarter. <laughs> I'm guessing all this. Um, and it got kickstarted and it got made and it came out last year and it was um, at least as far as indie games are concerned, a lot of people was like it was like their game of the year. It was one of the highlights of the year. One of the you know, one of the reasons everybody was saying 2017 was a, like a, a really, really vintage year for games that I wasn't aware of because I sort of skipped almost everything last year and I'm now playing it this year. Um, and uh, I was thinking, oh, it, everybody was saying it, it's great and like uh, the reviews were really positive and the gamers themselves were saying, um, oh, it's the best. Everybody says the same thing. They say it's the best Metroidvania game I've ever played, which is really saying something because... You know, the, the two progenitors of the genre, Super Metroid and Symphony of the Night, are still considered, like, masterpieces. They're in, like always in the top 100 games, so to beat those is amazing, and it's quite a popular genre these days, so not only is it a, apparently being placed above those two, but also on top of the big pile of, you know, critically acclaimed indie games like Ori and the Blind Forest and, and all this stuff, so... Uh, and it, and not just like the praise because I'm already I'm stupidly attracted to things that everybody says is a ten out of ten. I go oh I've got to try this out. Um, and often I'm disappointed because I've got different tastes from other people. I don't know what they're talking about most of the time. Um, and I was like oh, I hope it comes out on Switch. Then they said it is coming out on Switch, and then we had no information about it like all year. And then finally E3 they were like it's out today. I was like shit. So I got it and uh, fucking hate it. Well maybe I don't ha I hate it and I love it. Well, I don't love it. I like it. It's kind of like Breath of the Wild. I, I played Breath of the Wild earlier this year. Um, and we never t I never talked about it on the podcast because I, I'd already exhausted myself complaining about it to Joe. Um, and it, it's the same sort of thing. I I enjoyed it. I, I liked it. But it, even though it was like massively frustrating me throughout almost the entire time I was playing it. And like just I was just thinking... The, there's so much that's just objectively broken about the game designs in both games, and yet I'm, st I, you know, I didn't give up. I played, I played Breath of the Wild for 125 hours, and I played uh, Hollow Knight for 35 hours, which is quite long for a, a Metroidvania game, um, which is kind of a new trend. Metroidvania games used to be like a few hours long. Super Metroid you can beat in like four hours, easy. Um, but the Metroid 2 remake that came out last year, that was like, I think I, that was like 25 hours. Um, so I, I stuck with it mostly. I'll get that in a minute. Um, but I'm, I'm these days. If I, if I don't like a game, I do just stop playing it. Like I just got um, Sonic Mania, and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm not. I, I'm. I'm. It's that's increasingly frustrating me as well. And I'm in danger of smashing my Switch to pieces. So I've like finally been mature enough to go. I, I'm just going to stop playing it then. You know, that's the thing everybody always says. Oh, if you hate the game so much, why don't you stop playing it? Well, it's not always as simple as that. Sometimes it is. But with Hollow Knight, it's like. There's a really good game under here, um, but it's being ruined by 
so many like bad design choices, but that you know the good game is still under there. What I was supposed to be explaining to you what this game is? It's a Metroidvania game. I think I've established this. Yeah, a Metroidvania game, um, indie with the uh, insects. Um, <laughs> it's like the world of but you play like an insect, and all the enemies and NPCs are insects, and you go down into this like a forgotten uh, kingdom of that was like a an insect kingdom, but now they're all sort of dead. But it's it's really really similar to Dark Souls in uh, not so much the gameplay, but in like the world. It's it's my it's like a endlessly oppressing and depressing like it's everything is sort of like rotten and uh, all the enemies are like these weird reanimated insect corpses and there's uh, how the story is told is also really like Dark Souls because it, nothing is like explicitly given you have to sort of piece things together like what happened how did it crumble and uh, like what kind of a world was it before it crumbled you get pieces of information and lore from like uh, enemy descriptions and uh, little trinkets that you find and um, like this very similar sort of weird character like characters are almost always just there on their own you find you find them in like the depths of this weird dangerous place and uh they'll just throw out these really weird cryptic like they're all crazy and they say weird things and you've got to try and figure out which bit of this is just craziness and which bit is it like a like they've got alzheimer's or something like some piece of fragment of memory that they remember from like the old kingdom and and uh it's kind of interesting if you like that sort of thing if you like dark souls you'll almost certainly like uh, the story in this um probably you'll like enjoy the difficulty as well um yeah that's the the kind of feel that if you i know joe you haven't played dark souls but if you have then it's it's a very similar type of atmosphere question two how hard was it really uh you tell from the tone of that question that i i've already moaned about this also to joe a lot before we did the podcast um it was it was really really difficult but not so difficult that I couldn't actually beat it. That's the thing that's annoying. This sort of game, if you have any complaints about it at all, particularly about the difficulty, people would just say, oh, yeah, get good. To which I reply, fuck off. Like, it, that's not a good argument. Um, first of all, I'm not... I, I am quite good. I mean, I beat it, so it can't be... You know what I mean? I'm, I, they just say, oh, you're terrible at the game then. If you don't like it, it's, it the only reason is because you're terrible. Um, just like... If you don't like an indie game, it'll be, oh, because you just like COD, you just like Call of Duty shooters. That's, no, there's an in-between somewhere. Um, so I'm not that terrible at the game because I beat it. But I, I, I did not like the amount of dedication you have to put into the game in order to be able to beat it. It was, it was, um, it was not too hard, but the, the way the difficulty worked was pure bullshit. You know, it's, the problem with the game is that a lot of it, um, plays and feels like a splatformer you know those games like celeste and uh super meat boy and stuff where they're like a troll game you know like there's troll levels of mario that they make on mario maker or you know the official mario 2 <laughs> that is a troll game um where like almost everything about it is designed to just uh defy your expect oh i'm supposed to jump here no there'll be something here to fucking stop you from jumping there and make you land in a pit and die instantly it's not as bad as that but a lot of it feels that way and the enemies are, are very very tough especially the bosses um, so that you die all the time. But the difference is those games usually restart you on like this exact same screen. So you have an immediate chance to reattempt it. So it's more like the, it's frustrating and it's difficult, but it's fun because you get to keep retrying. And it's that, you know, that addictive quality of, oh, one more try. I'm going to do it this time. Um, this game, 
It's this, it has the same sort of difficulty, but it has the save system and restore system of a regular game, like, like Super Metroid. So every single time you die, which is a lot, you have to go all the way back to the save point and sort of get through all this traversal to get back to where you were, which can be like five or ten minutes maybe sometimes, depending on if you've randomly found a save point near this part. That's an, another annoying thing about this type of game where you'll come to a branch in path maybe. There's You can go left or you can go right. Maybe left has a save point and maybe right has a it fucking super hard boss. You don't know which one is which. You just have to go left or right and you'll find out when you get there so it's just luck if you're lucky you'll go left first oh i can save and then you'll go right oh the boss so if you die you because you were just lucky you picked left first instead of right you get to start right outside that room but if you happen to just randomly choose right you're fucked because now you didn't even when you die and you go all the way back to the previous save point which might be very 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 far away even in the previous area it's like you're now you, you and you still don't even know that there's a save point right there Maybe you'll go all the way back to the boss and still not know that you could have just gone left And it's not even as simple as that because it might be you go left and then there's another branching path And then there's another one you don't know what the environment is there should be Like a you should be able to go into the menu because each new area You need to get a new map for it and the air the, the guy who sells the map is also something you have to find as well as a save point And you don't know where he is so it's fucking pointless, you know, that you're, you're searching in the dark for something to help you search in the dark. It doesn't make any sense. The map and the save point should be there when you get into a new area. Or at the very least, when you bring up, like, the blank map, if you've got the compass equipped, that should show you where the save point and the map seller is. Like, on the blank maps, you at least know the general direction, like how it is in Zelda, if you get the compass but no map. But it's, you're just left with nothing, and it's really, really annoying. This is something that uh, a lot of people, anybody who complains about the game has got the same complaint. That, at least, that there's far too much backtracking. The backtracking is something that's that's inherent in Metroidvania, but when you say that, you think of like, a, oh, I've got a new weapon, I'll go, I'll backtrack to a previous area, and now I can get through a door that was locked before. No, they mean just going through the same, the same corridor, like, of enemies, 50 times in a row to get to the boss. It's like ridiculous spending like an entire evening just trying to practicing at this one boss. Forget it. I'm not interested in that. That's that's really really boring. At least when you're if it was just, you know, if you died and then you immediately got to try the boss. If it was having to do that 50 times in a row, at, at least you're learning something. You're growing and developing each time you do that. You're getting a bit better, hopefully. You're at least you're like subconsciously learning more about the the enemy's attack patterns and the timing and all of that stuff and your your muscle memory is improving um but when you're but the part where you're just defeating these same like minor enemies on the path to the boss is um that's literally just wasted time you're not learning anything you're not enjoying yourself you're it's rubbish and it doesn't add up to like a, a maybe you'll get frustrated with the boss but the more frustrated you get with it the more satisfaction you get when you finally beat it but that doesn't that doesn't apply to the the mind-numbingly boring traversal that's just a wasted time part of why the bosses are so difficult is this is something joe hates about games it's it demands perfection it's like the it's like it feels like a guitar hero game where you you've got to get perfect on every note before you can move on to the next song that's how that because a lot of it is to do with like the timing of uh, healing because you can't you healing in this game is like you've got to charge it up and of course you can be attacked whilst you're charging up which will cancel it whilst not it, it won't cancel the magic it was going to use up that's gone 
but you know you'll so instead of um instead of gaining a heart of health or a mask in this game you'll lose one <laughs> so it's a it's a huge gamble and the 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 pauses in the boss attack patterns are like literally o only just enough to get in one charge if you've got a charm that speeds up the charging as well and like a millisecond out no there's no point you'll get hit and you'll lose a heart instead of gaining one um so that that's just ridiculous how, how perfect you need to be the punishment for death is also annoying you're it's kind of like dark souls again you get a shade so when you die you leave behind like a ghost of yourself that has all your money and if you of course if you die again on the way to get it back then it, that's gone for good you'll create a new shade which will have like no money or maybe a, a couple of shekels you picked up on the way to try to get the first one but it's just it's kind of like a, a broken system because obviously you're going to die at the the hardest parts of the game so that's where your shade is. Your, you've, you know, your shade is now almost impossible to get sometimes because it will be in an extremely difficult platforming section. So, or, or sometimes it will get locked inside a boss room. So in order to get the shade, you'll have to trigger the boss. You have to go into the room and trigger the boss and then it locks and then you can kill the shade and get your money back. But now you're facing the boss again. So now it's really annoying because you're just locked into attempting this boss over and over and over again until you beat it each time you die you leave a shade you've got to go back to get it again that starts the boss fight again and you know you can't go oh fuck, fuck that I'll, I'll i'll try this boss later um you can't because you, you if you you're probably going to die again before you get back to the boss then the shade will be lost so you just have to sort of give it up or commit yourself to an entire evening of trying to beat this boss so you don't lose the shade and money is really really important in this game because you need it to buy charms which you also definitely need to get buffs otherwise you'd just be screwed without all the buffs so you you really can't afford to lose a lot of the, uh, your money Let, let's not also forget that the, the shade tries to kill you so there's that as well not not only maybe there's like a whole bunch of enemies that were really difficult and they killed you so now you've got to go back there and without dying on the way and again like i said it like you might not have found a save point or a map but you're going to struggle to find your way back there it's the, it's probably going to be in a new area where you've died where you're unfamiliar with it you've got to go back into that unfamiliar area and 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 now the shade is there added to all these other enemies trying to kill you um it's just it's this, this thing that this game has is like it's so anti-player everything is like a fuck you to the player and any one of these things would be okay like like Dark Souls style design where that's the point of the game that it's harsh against you um but it's it's everything at once all the time all these anti-player things sort of stack up and it's just like a it's just like a troll game it's like the the game was designed to take the piss out of you and to, to it's like a joke on you the player and it's just ridiculous they they went way overboard with it okay question the third you seemed, uh, you were super excited about Hollow Knight before it came out, and now you seem filled with regret. Tell me more. Um, I think I've probably already gone into why I'm so annoyed and sort of disappointed, because um, have I mentioned like I don't think I mentioned like the what it looks like. The it the, it's got beautiful, um, I suppose, hand drawn environments, and the the enemies and the NPCs and the, and stuff like that. They're drawn in a in a in a much simpler way, with less detail. But it, normally that would sort of stand out too much from the background for me. That like I have a big problem with modern two D games. in In the old days when it was like all eight bit or all sixteen bit, obviously the the sprites the 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 sprites matched the background perfectly. They blended in. It was like one seamless world. But these days you can have like a super high definition, uh, like 
painted background with like a a, a, a CG looking like it looks like crap. That's why I don't like two point five D platformers especially. But this it somehow it works. These like a I've actually there's a there's an interesting video online. I forget where where it, uh, what the title of it is, but it talks about. There's, the enemies even have apparently they have an intentionally different frame rate to make you I don't it sort of affects you subconsciously how you feel about them like you know which things are enemies and which things are parts of the background and things like that but it's it's it all works together fantastically and they're really cool and there's a, a really huge variety of of enemies in the game more so than you would ever find in like a, a Metroidvania I think like Super Metroid there's far fewer um, and there's like no cut, just shitty palette swaps or anything it's so much work has gone into it and um it looks fantastic and the music is really beautiful and everything um so it's just a shame that it's all ruined by by this it doesn't it's it's so strange to have something so beautiful and yet like it's almost like the opposite feeling not ugly this beautiful sort of soothing oh, i'm really enjoying this is beautiful and, and and yet there's this sort of like jagged sort of nagging frustration fucking constantly that you where you want to destroy it i shouldn't want to destroy something that's so beautiful so that's really annoying and also, um, I think maybe the fans were, were like part, a big part of the annoyance. Because like I said, they, do you know what to expect from these sorts of fans? Their, their criticism, not criticism, you know, their, their, their uh, criticism of critics is not based objectively on, on the game and like the design decisions. It's based on how they feel about themselves. So they, they, this is true of lots of things, really, politics and stuff like that, where people don't give a shit about the facts. It's how they feel about themselves. So they go, well... If if I choose to think that the, if I choose to believe that the game is is not hard and this guy's just shit, not only does that defeat his point, he says it's too difficult. I can say no, it's not. You're wrong. So I get a point there. Um, I get to say he's shit at the game. That's another point. That's good. And and oh, that also means that I'm amazing at the game. So that's a third point. It's like fuck you. This is about the game, not about how great you feel about you are. You know, they're just so full of themselves. You know, it's like. The game is clearly not easy, is it? If they think this game is easy, then what the fuck is a hard game? What what to them is a hard? There's not much harder than this, is there? So, uh, and and like th this is like one percent of games that are this difficult. Most games are a lot easier than this. So they must they pro surely they just don't even bother with ninety nine percent of other games because that's like a baby's toy. If this is easy, then what the fuck is like Mario Odyssey? Because that's not a really hard game, so they must just think that is like a, a Fisher Price toy. So I mean, they probably won't bother with that because it's if 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 you know Hollow Knight and Dark Souls three and things are just easy, they're talking bullshit. So the fans are a big disappointment whenever when you know when you come up with some legitimate criticisms and you want to talk about uh, the design of a game and which things worked and what things didn't work and stuff. And like anybody in favor of the game, they can't possibly articulate you know a, 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 a like a logical answer to what you said they can't come up with an explanation for what you think is bad is actually good they just say you're shit at the game get good so that's a big disappointment when um it, like me you end up sort of like it's a bad idea but you spend a lot of um valuation of a game based on on what people are generally saying oh this is a must play game this year and you go oh okay then and then you find out all those people are fucking monkeys and it puts you off playing other games that are getting high. You know, like everybody's raving about God of War. And it's like, oh, I now I want to play it because I don't want to miss out on like a masterpiece. But now I can't trust anything anybody says because every fan community is just infested with these morons. Oh, I need to calm down. Question the fourth. Um, Cho says, 
Uh, assuming I'm not wrong about Hollow Knight being in some way retro-inspired platformer you are, are there any re recentish retro-inspired or themed games you do like? Sonic Mania maybe? No, not that. Um, it's not really retro-inspired because, um, well, I mean, it's, it's Metroidvania, but Metroidvania has not really ever gone away. So I can't, it's not a ret, I wouldn't consider that a retro genre. And the graphics, as I said, they're like beautifully hand-drawn and with this, they're not sprite-based, they're not pixel-based. So, um, it's not really a retro game, I wouldn't say. But maybe you could say, oh, it's like super hard. So that's kind of like a, a thing these days with a lot of games like Celeste. Celeste is a super hard game and it is also got like 8-bit or... I'm not sure, 16-bit some of it, I think. I, I don't like these modern games where they sort of mix 8-bit and 16-bit or they have 8-bit graphics, but the physics engine and the way they move is like a modern game. I don't like that. Um, but yeah, I've not played a lot of them. Sonic Mania pissed me off. Um, I'm not going to bother going into why. That could be a whole new podcast, the whole other podcast. Um, I put that aside. There's other games like Shovel Knight and things like that that are, I don't know if that is supposed to be hard, but um, it's a different kind of hard, like more skill-based rather than just... That's the problem with Hollow Knight. A lot of it, it, it's kind of like Dark Souls in that sense where the difficulty is not so much based on what people... I think a lot of people portray it as being based on, like, reactions. Oh, this guy's going to do an attack. You need to be very quick with your reaction to be able to roll out of the way of it. It's not really. They they, they move and they telegraph things so, like, so quickly. You can't really react. A human can't react that quickly unless... You, like, maybe a fly would be good at this game. It's, so it's not really about skill. It's about memory. It's just about di dying to this boss... And in dying, finding out that he does this attack, maybe in reaction to something you do. And then when you try it again, now you know. That's poor game design. That's not real. I don't consider that a skill. So I don't like it. And that's what a lot of this game is. And it doesn't even... That, I, that's kind of what makes me think that's why they add in this mechanic to these types of games sometimes. Where your death is kind of explained within the context of the of the game world. So in Dark Souls, you're like the unburnt one or something. I, I can't remember. Um, and in this one, like you die and your shade is there. So your death is kind of, you know, accounted for. Because otherwise it doesn't make any sense. Sure, like ideally, the growth of the character should mirror the growth of the player. You know, like uh, you get better, your reactions get better and you become a better warrior. You know, like a, a, a real world warrior is good because his reactions are good. He's not good because he fucking died and found out what the enemy was going to do and then he gets to try again. doesn't make any sense. So, uh, you know, the, the fact that they have to find a way to incorporate that, I don't like either. Okay, final question now from Joe. It's question number five and it is, are you looking forward to the free Gods and Glory DLC for Hollow Knight due in August? No, I'm not. Because there was already a bunch of DLC in the game because, it, you know, it, it came out last year and the Switch version just came out recently. So, like, the existing DLC, like, I think maybe three things um, were included in the, ge the game that I got. That was, the, like, the base game, as far as I'm concerned. Um, I'm not sure if I would count it as DLC. I'm not sure because it was in, it was kickstarted. And I, sh I think there was a beta. People on the forums talking about it, like, from last year or even earlier, maybe. Um and it's like changing as they're talking about it. They're going, oh, like this update changed this. So I don't know what was updates and, and if the DLC is the same thing and it's free DLC. So that's a, not what I'm used to. And um, so yes, and like in the list of things that is in the DLC, some of it seems like tweaks and updates rather than like just new content. And uh, it's that annoyed me because like, I, now I don't know what to think about the game. I don't know because it's not like a, 
Resident Evil or Evil Within or something where you play the game and then it's like a DLC, it's like a separate chapter. Oh, the DLC chapter's in the menu, play this, and it's like a little sub-story. No, it's like it's in the game world. So I, as I'm playing it, I don't know what is part of the main game and what is optional stuff. So I, that's when I sort of gave up with the game because I, some of the bo all the optional stuff, which I assume is the stuff from the DLC, is really fucking hard, more hard than the rest of it even. And I was like... This boss is really difficult. I do not want to spend a whole extra evening just practicing this fight again. It's a waste of my time. And uh, so I was looking upon the you know the guides on the internet. I was like, oh, this I don't even need to do this fight. This is for some optional shit. So I just went straight. I realized I could go straight to the boss pretty much at that point, the final boss. And I just beat the game just to be done with it. Um, so like I don't like the fact that a bunch of the game is reserved for people who are who who are okay with spending ages practicing this thing, or or they're just already like expert level players at this sort of shit so that they can just beat it it used to be like uh, the, the 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 game would be 100 percent available to normal players and if you're a speedrunner or someone who wants to take the game apart and sequence break and all that shit you can do that on your own time on twitch now because the, that community is you know it's obviously much bigger more prominent more people know about it than they did 20 years ago um now they're sort of taking those people into account in the game design and sort of tailoring some of the game towards those people and that means that anybody like who's not a pro level player they get left in the cold you know i don't like the fact that a lot of the game is is only for those people you know people say oh they shouldn't there's a big argument about whether games like dark souls should have an easy mode and a lot of people are saying well, obviously not the whole point of the game is that it's hard that's the whole game if you make an easy mode that's destroying the game what would be the point of playing it well no because uh, the gameplay is only part of the game, isn't it? The rest of it is the world. And Dark Souls and Hollow Knight have got really interesting worlds and characters and things. And some people, like me, I want to see, the, you know, the like I said, I really like the animation stuff. I want to see the new enemies and their like little animations and, and the, these weird characters and the things they're going to say and some of the lore. And I can't see that because the, 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 like, the barriers to getting into that, that stuff is a really fucking hard enemy that I can't be bothered wasting an evening on. So, um... I suppose you could say, well, just watch a stream of it, but surely the, the, the developers don't want people doing that, so it's in their best interest to, um, uh, uh, maybe not an easy mode, but just something, something to give like a little pathway into the, the content of the game without forcing like normal players to uh, do all that like uh, OCD stuff. So it's the same thing as Breath of the Wild. I, I, I have no idea what to feel about this game. Um, because I like it and I don't like it. I certainly wouldn't recommend it to Joe, though, because Joe doesn't get on well, well with the platformers in general anyway. And like a, a, like a harder one like this, um, I don't know. Maybe Joe surprises me sometimes. He's good at certain things, some retro games. He's better than me at some retro games somehow, even though he never plays them. And then he, I used to invite him around to my house. Like, hey, I thought I'd find because he whoops my ass at like Call of Duty and modern games. I was like, I'm going to get revenge now on Mario Kart. Says, oh, I've lost again. What the, how did this happen? Um, but yeah, I, I'm sure Joe won't bother with this. Um, I think people know whether they like it or not. <laughs> Most people aren't like me where they're like, everybody says this game is good. I'll, I'll, I'll base my judgment on that. Um, just uh, use your brain if you've got a good one not like mine. See ya, pals! I'm your host, Joy.